Well, it's a beautiful sunny afternoon. I'm at a place called Battleship, no, Battle Bridge Basin, just outside the London Canal Museum, a few minutes walk from King's Cross. There's about two dozen permanent moorings here, some wonderful looking old narrow boats. There's um, Lee Valley Brock, Brockbourne, Living the Dream, One Day, and the imaginatively titled uh, 515210. What I'm hoping to do is visit the museum for the afternoon and learn about its history, its connection with ice cream, and then take a narrow boat down the canal and go through one of its iconic tunnels. That, to me, is a day well spent. Welcome to the Waterfront Podcast, brought to you by the Canal and River Trust and presented by the inimitable David Bramwell. I'm Cathy Simpson and I'm the Education Officer here at London Canal Museum. It's like, it's like I'm taking confession here with you sat behind these <laughs> curtains in the dark. Do you want to say where we're sat? Uh, we're sat in the back cabin of Butty Boat Coronis, which is a non-motor boat that would have been towed by a motor cargo narrowboat. It was built in 1935 and half of it lives in the Canal Museum. We're in the living area which along with the back deck for steering takes up about four metres of that and has lots and lots of cubby holes. The dining table is actually a cupboard door. It's hinged at the bottom rather than at the side and just comes down you may just have heard the creak there as it came down, um, with more cupboard space behind it, and then the table itself looks a bit like an ironing board. The family would have sat around that on various side benches, which double up as beds and have storage underneath again, and stools, most of which have lifting lids with more storage space under that. Right, I'm going I'm to fold this, this table away. And what are your personal highlights of the museum? Well, the museum has two themes, and the second half of it is the ice trade. The building we're in was built by Mr Carlo Gatti, who was a Swiss-Italian entrepreneur in the catering trade, and he saw a market for large quantities of ice, which he had imported from Norway and stored under the floor. We have two ice wells under the floor of the building. And we have a display related to the ice and also to the catering trade. And one of my favourite exhibits are the penny lick glasses, which are shallow glass bowls which would have ice cream put in them and people would lick it off. They would then be rinsed out by the vendor in a bucket of dirty water and a new bit of ice cream put on the top and sold to the next person. As you can imagine, this was uh, rather frowned upon once it was discovered how... Um, many diseases was transmitted. So in the early 1890s, as part of the Public Health Act, penny licks were actually banned from use. Um, it sounds a bit quieter outside. So it's children, we should say it's, it's children's day today. Um, part of the reason why we've locked ourselves away in this, uh, in this part of the boat. I forgot to ask though, what happened to the other half of the boat? Do you know, I have no idea. My staff training didn't extend to that bit of the story, I'm afraid. Well, as you can hear, the London Canal Museum is pretty popular with kids. I found two floors of fascinating exhibits, from a mechanical model lock to teach people how a lock works, to a fibreglass horse called Henrietta, part of a section exploring the important role of horses in Victorian London. One exhibit describes the building of the Regent's Canal 200 years ago. 
There seemed to be some controversy over the Prince Regent's budgeting for this. Here's Cathy again. The exhibition gives a really interesting insight into the profligacy of the Prince Regent and uh, how the budget for the canal through Regent's Canal through Regent's Park, the name, the clues in the name there, um, the budget wasn't used particularly constructively at times, and it's a very interesting exhibition. He, he blew a quarter of it, didn't he? Could you want to tell me what he spent a quarter of the entire budget on? Silverware, pretty much. He wanted to impress the shareholders. He probably did, but a bit more focus on the actual uh, building might have been better. And that was, that was equivalent to spending, nowadays, about £7 million. So he spent £7 million, a quarter of the budget, on, on silverware. You've got to doff your cap to the Prince Region. He really knew how to squander cash, didn't he? <laughs> he did. It's a testament, I think, to the builders that this project actually got finished at all, to be honest. Now, one of the things I've been really looking forward to today is descending into the bowels of the building to visit the ice wells with my guide, Martin Sack. Normally, the London Canal Museum only open these wells once a year unless they've got a very special visitor like the Queen or the presenter of the Waterfront podcast. So we're, we're down in the ice well underneath the building. It's a great circular space. Martin's just coming down. Oh, bang my head. <laughs> Glad I'm wearing the hat. Right, well, we're, we're down uh, at the bottom of the ice well, at least as far as we can go now. Uh, when it was in use, it went down a lot further than where we're standing. Uh, we know it was something like 42 feet from the top of the ice well down to the bottom. Um, it was filled in with waste from bomb sites that were created during the Second World War. And uh, we've got uh, two wells here. Um, we're now looking through a gap into the second one, uh, which can be lit up and viewed via a remote camera. So people can go onto the museum website and control a, a webcam that zooms in and turns the lights on and looks around the ice well. So you can explore this even though it's only open to the public one day a year. Carlo Gatti had this building built. I don't think he built or handled all the bricks personally, but uh, he had this building built for the storage of natural ice, yes. That was then shipped to other people for a whole load of purposes, one of which was making ice cream. Uh, now Carlo Gatti did make ice cream, but he didn't do it here. Uh, he, he would have done that in his confectionery shops. Uh, ice cream had to be made and sold very, very quickly before it melted. The main use of ice, of course, was not the, 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 the frippery of ice cream. The main use was preserving food. So ice was a really, really important thing in the 19th century because they didn't have any other way of keeping food cold. Now I feel embarrassed by my next question because mm -hmm. I was going to ask you whether the Victorians had the same flavour ice creams that, that we, or, or particularly vanilla well, as we... That's actually quite a good question. Oh, good. Because um, we, one of the books we've got in our archives in our library is, uh, is a copy of Mrs. Marshall's Book of Fancy Ices. Mrs. Marshall was a, a 19th century and early 20th century famous celebrity cook. Uh, and she specialised in ices. 
and uh, she published recipes for all manner of different flavors, things that we would very, very seldom see these days, like, for example, cucumber ice cream. Some of them were savory. Well, no, actually, no. You, <laughs> no, I'm, you I'm say, not a cucumber fan, that's all. <laughs> you say yuck, but actually we've tried making one or two of these things, and they're really nice. Okay. Um, savory flavors of ice cream were quite common in the 19th century, so the, the range that you might see in, in, in a confectionery shop today is probably not as great as the wide-ranging number of different flavours that, uh, that were made in the 19th century. So after we resurfaced, I couldn't help but take a peek at Mrs Marshall's book of fancy ices. A particular party piece of hers seemed to be asparagus ice cream. This was made in a pewter mould shaped like a bunch of asparagus and flavoured with vanilla and spinach. Those crazy Victorians. And so finally, thanks to the generosity of Martin, Cathy and the team at the museum, I was ready for my final adventure of the day. So I'm about to take a boat ride through the Islington Tunnel. Is this something people can expect to be able to do if they visit the museum? Um, on certain days we do run tunnel boat trips. Uh, two Sundays a month, May to October inclusive, uh, we run a programme of five tunnel bit boat tours. Uh, and one of our team goes on board as a guide to give a historical commentary on the boat and explain about the history of the tunnel and how it was worked and the steam tug that used to pull uh, the barges through uh, and uh, how many million bricks there are in it. Uh, it is the longest canal tunnel in London, three quarters of a mile approximately in length, uh, one of the longest in the south of England. Uh, and, and many people do find this an interesting experience because they've never been through a canal tunnel before. I'm going to get spooked a bit, aren't I? How long does it take to get through? Uh, it depends whether the skipper puts his right foot down, but roughly 20 minutes or so each way. Well, it's a beautiful day for it. So my skipper for the journey is called Warren, and with him is a volunteer called John. Here's Warren. There's literally only one or two rules with the tunnel. Um, Whoever has their light on in the tunnel at first is right of way. So we're looking out for any lights in the, yeah, in the so far, far distance? Yeah, so if there's a light coming towards me, I can't go through. If I, if I go through, I've got the possibility of reversing. I have to reverse because I'm in the wrong. Right. But if I'm in the tunnel and another light comes towards me after I'm already in there, then they have to reverse. Here we go, okay. Because the first thing to change is the acoustics and the and, and the smell of the of the damp. It does smell like a cave. Yeah, yeah. Sixty foot underground, according to the the normal guy who does a guided tour. Right. So you know, upstairs is. Where, where's he when I want him? Sundays you have to come. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, upstairs is Chapel Market. Right. Know, yeah, Islington. Yeah. And he he tells me that in the middle it's sixty foot underground. Right. Yeah. So it's considerably cooler now, and there's a, a real wind on, on my face as well. Yeah, um, this is the trips that we do um, every Sunday. So we go back and forward through the tunnels. At the end of the tunnel, uh, we come to a lock, but we turn round. We don't go in it. We turn round away from the lock, and then we come back in the dark tunnel, back to the Canal Museum. And we do that back and forward all day from half 10 to half 5.
with the light that way behind you. Wait, and now look at the one in front of you. You can see we're not in the middle yet. And it feels like we should be halfway through, but actually we're maybe a third, aren't we? Right, can't you? That we've got quite a lot further to go than, than yeah. we've come at the moment, yeah. yeah. I'm now thinking about in the past when people didn't have engines, what a hard job it would have been mm. to, have, to have pushed the boat yeah. all the way down this tunnel just using legs. And laid on the boards yeah. with their feet against the wall. So one guy that side, one guy this side, walking along the wall sideways. Just two? Well, there's only two men on the boat. You've only got the normal skipper and the crew, and they walk along, and that's where the expression to leg it comes from. You know, leg it and run away? Yeah. Yeah, it comes, supposedly comes from that, you know, of legging it along the tunnel. Right. No, we're a bit over halfway now, aren't we? If you look left now, and now look to the other end, this looks closer, doesn't it? But it's about the same size, the, the orifice that you can see in both directions. Yes. So when it's exactly the same size, we must be in the middle. Is that the official term, the orifice? Well, I, 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 what do you want to call it? <laughs> end of the tunnel? I don't know. Yeah. Which end? <laughs> we, just, we just passed some graffiti. How, how, how did someone manage to graffiti the word eel? That's, um, you know, that's pretty impressive. Graffiti is now mainstream art. I mean, it's not graffiti anymore, it's art now. It's an art form, yeah. isn't it? So I bet you there's um, Victorian graffiti on these bricks if you actually went through slowly with a torch. When what? they built this, they would have written their names on it. That's yeah. another podcast episode, isn't it, in the making Victorian graffiti, I think. Oh, right, yeah. Because I know that another stone carvers used to carve their initials yes. into into the stones inside the tunnels. Well, everybody put their name on things to say, oh, "I did this, and I'm proud of it." Yeah. You know, in those days. Nowadays, we all hide because we don't want anyone to know, just yeah. in case yeah. there's some comebacks. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to walk up there. Yeah. And then when you get up to this this road going over top, that's Boris Johnson's house. So no way. So you can interview him. What with that window there? Yep. And he's a clean, doesn't it? Get off. <laughs> nice to meet you. Very nice home. to meet you too. Cheers, Thank you. Thank you so much, Warren. Thank no you for your worries. time, gents. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. The London Canal Museum is open Tuesday to Sunday, 10 till 4.30. Boat rides through the Islington Tunnel run every Sunday. The ice wells are open just one day of the year, usually in July. Best check the website for the next one. It's canalmuseum.org.uk. And finally, the museum is located 10 minutes walk from King's Cross, but if you've got a narrowboat, you can turn up on their doorstep in style. This Waterfront podcast was produced by David Bramwell with music by Oddfellows Casino. It was a Smoke Creatives production for the Canal and River Trust. If you like the Waterfront podcast, please leave a review for us on iTunes. Winding through 2,000 miles of beautiful countryside and vibrant cities, our unique network of canals and rivers offer vital havens for people and nature alike, because everyone deserves a place to escape. Visit canalrivertrust.org.uk forward slash friend to become a friend of the Trust and receive a wealth of benefits, discounts and the beautifully produced Waterfront magazine. <laughs>